0: listening to the best of the Roto Experts in the Morning. The Cleveland Browns have sent Corey Coleman to the Buffalo Bills for a draft pick. Now listen, Scotty, we talk about the Bills and how they may have, may have the worst wide receiving core in the AFC, if not the NFL. We've talked about that. They get a little bit of help in the form of Corey Coleman. I have a couple of questions for you about this, Scott. The first one is... Does this help Corey Coleman's fantasy value? Like, he's probably slotted in as one of the starters in Buffalo. Is that correct? And what does this mean for Corey Coleman?
1: Well, I think it means a fresh start for Corey Coleman and maybe something that he needed. In 2016, Mm -hmm. he averaged 12.5 yards per catch. Uh, He did catch 33 balls in 10 games. Three touchdowns last year averaged more yardage per catch. But really wasn't much of a factor, and then he got hurt. Uh, you know, this is a fresh start for Corey Coleman. It's an opportunity, and it, sometimes you see wide receivers in the NFL, young wide receivers, they don't cut it somewhere and eventually get traded somewhere else. And you know, this is probably like the last chance for Corey Coleman to prove himself before he be- starts bouncing out around the league permanently. I think he's got to seize this opportunity. He's, he's, you know, so for that reason. Uh, I think you put him down maybe as like, you know, one of your wide receiver five or sixes that you draft, but Mm -hmm. you can't have a lot of confidence because, you know, the quarterback situation is shaky in Buffalo, et cetera, and opportunity doesn't always lead to
0: production. Yeah. If you're drafting today, are you taking uh, Corey Coleman or are you taking Zay Jones in Buffalo? I'm probably taking Zay Jones. Okay.
1: Because he's been with the team for two years, and I saw... Some flashes from Zay Jones, although they were brief. I figured Zay Jones has been there longer, you know, at least for this season, since mini camps. And if Corey Coleman's going to vault past him on the depth chart, he has to earn it.
0: Right. It's one of those things. You say it even with the rookies also, right? They have to earn it. And similar, Corey Coleman being in a new spot, you know, like you said, Zay Jones has been there for a couple of years already. Knows the offense a little bit more. So, you know, maybe maybe over time this will happen. But right now you still think of Zay Jones as the number two there in.
1: There's a What's new that? offensive coordinator there, you know. Brian okay, DeVol, so maybe so.
0: so does so that make it maybe easier for him to Coleman to establish himself ahead of Zay?
1: Yes, but you know, Zay Jones has, you know, had the time in mini camps more and et cetera okay. and practices to, you know, he's he's been out with an injury, but he at least been studying the playbook, et cetera. Right. You know, he's gotten some reps here and there, so it does put him a little bit ahead, not as much as if he was in the
0: same system last year. Gotcha. So the experience isn't over the course of his time in Buffalo. The experience has really been like, you know, kind of in this offseason, getting to learn uh, kind of the new scheme. Let me ask you on the other side of things, though, Scotty, what about on this Cleveland side? Because, listen, Scott, last week... What we were talking about was, oh, this Josh Gordon, is he going to report? When's he going to report? Like, is this a blip on the radar? Do the Browns need uh, Des Bryant? You know, that was the narrative around Cleveland last week. We're hearing also that, listen, this Josh Gordon thing, he's not going to report by kind of like the middle of this week. So this brief respite is now turning into weeks. But at the same time, Scotty... Like, if they were really worried about Josh Gordon, they wouldn't trade another wide receiver from their roster. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes me think, it kind of gives me more confidence that uh, the Browns truly believe that Josh Gordon will actually be okay and on the field for them in the regular season. Because they wouldn't go ahead and trade another wide receiver if they were seriously concerned about Gordon, right? Of course, you know, that's the obvious
1: conjecture
0: that we can make.
1: But, you know, maybe they're trading Coleman to, you know, to clear the path to bring in Des Bryant because you know they feel they feel that uh you know that Dez is a guy that can come in and be the insurance for for Josh Gordon that Corey Coleman can't. Dez is more mm-hmm. proven, etc. I think it makes a lot of sense because if Josh Gordon is around, that gives you an incredible three wide receiver set and if he's not, at least you have the stability of knowing that Dez will be there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dez Bryant signs with the Cleveland
0: Browns very soon. All right. We will definitely keep our eye out on that because that'll definitely change some of the rankings, not only obviously for Dez, but there'll be impacts on other people. Um, Obviously, Jarvis Landry, potentially, and Josh Gordon as well. You know, Corey Coleman moving over for the Bills. Let's take the Bills side first. What does this mean for the Bills wide receivers vis-a-vis Benjamin, Zay Jones, and now Corey Coleman? How do you think the pie gets split up now in Buffalo?
1: Look, they have a new offensive coordinator, Brian DeBow, but uh, Zay Jones has been there ready at least when he hasn't been hurt to get some reps and to learn the playbook. So he's already ahead of Corey Coleman in the learning curve. I think that maybe they're hoping that Coleman can become more of a pure deep threat than these other two guys and maybe slot in as that third wide receiver. Uh but also, look, Jay Jones, you know, if he can't stay healthy, Calvin Benjamin is in trouble. Staying healthy, he could be a factor. You know, this is, I think, a pivotal pivotal season now for Corey Coleman because mm-hmm. they just gave up a seventh-round pick in 2020. They basically threw the guy away, you know, right. and look, look where he was drafted. And he's got to step forward this year or become just another failure that bounces around the league for years. I mean, you look at guys like him and – Laquan Treadwell, et cetera right. did, you know, that Michael Floyd. They, Michael Floyd, they spent well Floyd is I'm looking at guys in more recent seasons like mm. Laquan Treadwell who like they spent this high draft capital on him and now they're faced with like, okay, you better do something or you might be out of the league or you could be bouncing around it. So I keep Corey Coleman on my radar in a larger league. Maybe he's a final round pick, but uh not lot to move the needle fantasy
0: wise. Fair enough. Last chance saloon for Corey Coleman. Let's take it on the other side of things. Let's look at this Cleveland situation now, okay? Now, without Corey Coleman there, we know Jarvis Landry is apparently showing out in practice. I really believe Jarvis Landry is going to be a solid wide receiver, too. We know there's Josh Gordon there as well with his trials and tribulations. We know about the buzz about potentially Dez Bryant joining the dog pound. Them clearing out Corey Coleman. One start! There you go, Scotty. One school of thought is, listen, this might mean that uh, they have faith that Josh Gordon would be there or else why would they trade other wide receiver assets? But one of the other schools of thought, you mentioned it in our previous hour, is maybe they're just clearing the way for Des to feel comfortable as, uh, you know, kind of a, um, a main piece of the offense in Cleveland as he does sign. Well, let's read the tea leaves. What do you think this means for the Browns wide receivers, Scotty?
1: I'm going to say that means Des Bryant signs with them this week. Really? It makes a lot of sense now for Bryant because when you have Des Bryant, Josh Gordon, and Jarvis Landry to that's load up against defenses, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Look, Des is overrated, he's only had three good years. I don't care what some wacky homers say. He's never going to be in the ring of honor because, like, Drew Pearson and Michael Irvin in the ring of honor, and he's nowhere comparable to those guys. But he can still be a threat, and he can still gain defensive respect. So if you're attacking a defense with those three wide receivers, you're really putting a lot of pressure on the secondary. And then if you can't trust Josh Gordon, you say, look – we still got Dez. He can step step up and be our number two. He can either be he can either be a necessity is our number two or a luxury is our number
0: three. Yeah, I like that, and we talk about also the types of wide receivers uh, that a team has. And you know what I like about this fit potentially with Dez in Cleveland is that you know Dez is one of these kind of tough at the point of the catch, box out wide receivers, right? Jarvis Landry, we talk about as great in the slot, kind of a shaken bake, Ricky Bobby, kind of in the in the slot going underneath, kind of wide receiver. And Josh Gordon is this please get the invisible fire
1: off, my friend.
0: There you go, and bake, tiny baby Jesus, right? And then. Um, And then Josh Gordon is this kind of explosive playmaker all over the field. They have different kinds of wide receivers. Don't forget about the ascending second-year tight end, David Njoku. And, of course, one of the Best PPR backs out of the backfield in the entire NFL, and Duke Johnson. They got a top ten offensive line, in my humble opinion. They got a running back, you know, kind of timeshare at least on the early down stuff with Hyde and uh, the the rookie Nick Chubb. They have some playmakers in Cleveland, which is why I've already said I believe the Cleveland Browns have a viable chance to be in second place in that division, the AFC North. We stay in Miami. Um, Scotty, they're listing Kenyon Drake and uh, Frank Gore as... Co-starters, not even like an RB one and an RB two, like we have in some other situations. They are lifting literally Gore and Drake as co-starters. Yet, as you know, Scotty, I mean, Kenyon Drake is going so much further ahead of Al—not uh, Al Gore, excuse me. That would be an inconvenient truth of Frank Gore. Um, you know, you have Kenyon Drake, and what which I see is, is running back. Which is back his nickname? Yeah, at the inconvenient truth. You yeah. have uh, Drake as you know, like running back fourteen, and then I gotta scroll all. All the way down, I still haven't found them just yet, to 60 for Frank Gore. Now, listen, they're on the depth chart as co-starters. That has to represent some value for Gore. Or, like, what does this mean? What Do you buy it? What do you think about these running backs in Miami? I mean, Frank Gore, always there, always reliable. I don't want to buy it because maybe it's more motivational than
1: anything okay. else. Uh, you know, if there's going to be 25 carries in a game, I would say, you know, Uh, 16 or 17 would probably go to Kenyon Drake. You know, Gore's going to have his role, but you know he's not going to threaten him as the starter, ultimately. One of the Dolphins beat writers saying that he thinks uh, Drake is going to lead the team in receptions. So you have to think about the versatility. Frank Gore hasn't been a good pass receiving back since his earlier days in San Francisco. So, yeah, Gore will have his minor role, I think. And, you know, this kind of indicates it, but I'm not bumping Kenyon Drake down.
0: Uh, depth chart that we always got to keep our eye on is the running backs in New England. And, Scott, remember, Sonny Michelle is having a knee procedure, okay? He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, <clears throat> maybe even into the first couple of weeks of the regular season, all right? So the Patriots are listing Rex Burkhead as their RB1. Now, Burkhead had some injury issues of his own last year, Scotty, but when he was in there, he – you know, the Patriots running backs – over the last few years, have been like, you know which guys are the kind of like between the tackles guys, and you know which guys are the kind of like pass-catching guys, you know, the James Whites, the Deion Lewis's, right? And then you knew about the Gillisleys, you knew about, you know, um, you know they all had this kind of role. Burkhead was the kind of guy who could run for them and was a threat out of the backfield, and it looks like Burkhead is the RB1. Given this Sony Michelle news, which Patriots running back are you drafting first, Scotty?
1: I'm still drafting Michelle first. You okay. know, the latest report came out is that he should still be ready for the regular season. I think it makes it iffy when you look at the overall reports, but you know, Burkhead's going to be listed first regardless because he's a veteran. And Michelle still has right. to earn that throughout camp. Uh, you know, this makes Sony Michelle something of a value. Possibly, you always mm. have to worry with knee injuries whether they linger. But if people are going to bump him down the board, you know, he's going to bump him down a few rounds. And you know, then you grab Sony Michelle and in week four yeah. when the when the knee no longer an issue, you might have gotten them at a nice value. So that's that's something to consider. Sometimes when people draft look at injuries while they're drafting, they look at temporary and not long term outlook and it causes them to pass on some guys and maybe create some opportunity for you when guys are yeah. bumped down about two rounds. So that's what I'm looking at with Michelle. There's no there's no indication yet. There was there was a early indication that it might last into the regular season, but then the reports pulled back and said that he should be ready for the regular season. Look, knee injuries can be risky, but uh, you, look, you never know what you were getting with Michelle, even if he was healthy, because right. of how this Patriots backfield always looks. But look, at the same time, it might create it might create some some needed uh, pessimism on too, because I think. You know, there were some people who were drafting him too high, saying he plays in a great offense, he was a first-round pick,
0: and maybe taking him over some other
1: rookies that he really shouldn't have been taken over.
0: Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying there, Scott. Remember, sometimes people were maybe hyping up a little too much and forgetting the fact that the Patriots running backs in such a -a whack-a-mole situation anyway. But this knee injury can definitely temper expectations. I got to tell you, Scott, I also, listen, this idea of the the, the, uh, kind of injured rookie running back I have won championships off of this, Scott. In my main dynasty league, my main home league, in 2013, I drafted Le'Veon Bell in the sixth round because he was coming back from an ACL injury, coming back out of college, you know? And I have kept Le'Veon Bell his entire career. I had him as a sixth-round pick, and now this year he's escalated. He's my first-round pick, but that's okay. I will hold on to that, and I have the championship to show for it. You could have done the same thing years ago with Todd Gurley. Remember his first uh, he missed the first four games, I think, his rookie year. So don't completely lose faith on a guy like uh, Sony Michelle we got a poll question up as well, Scott. We're asking people today, which fantasy football position do they maybe downgrade or at least consider most the opponent they're facing, and if it's a top opponent, is it a quarterback versus a big-time pass rush, a running back against a big-time run defense, a wide receiver against a big-time secondary, or your fantasy defense against a very prolific offense? Right now 47% of the people, Scotty, say wide receiver versus a secondary. I mean, I remember, Scotty, in years past, you know, that's where the term Revis Island came from, right? You were sitting your wide receivers if they were facing Darrell Revis, you know. In more recent years, maybe you're getting the same treatment with a guy like Jalen Ramsey. I personally love Xavier Bumpy Rhodes in Minnesota. We talk about the Denver Broncos quarterback tandem a couple of years ago as well with the Harrises and the Talibs and whatnot. Um, Scotty, I, I kind of agree with them with the wide receivers maybe versus this shutdown corner. Are there any corners... Scott, who you stay away from, like who you are staying away from, maybe more in DFS, right? Maybe not in in season long, because if you have your guy, you know, Mike Evans, let's say, you're not sitting him even regardless of what cornerback he's facing, but maybe at the bottom, you know, kind of on the fringe sides of your roster or in DFS plays, what cornerbacks are you kind of like avoiding, let's say, a la Darrell Rivas? Because 47% of the people are saying that's the place to really consider the opponent.
1: You know, Again, I do disagree with this whole poll in principle. I'm not trying to be a hard <laughs> butt here. But, you know, if you really can't say it's one position that you worry about because every team offensively has different personnel and scheming and every defense has different personnel. So it goes from week to week. And, you know, what a lot of fantasy owners do is when they're facing a tough defensive player, you know, they they worry about the offensive player. If the offensive player is a star or a superstar, the defense doesn't always win by default. So, you know, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. That said, in a long-winded way to answer your question – you know Xavier Rhodes is somebody you know that I could get concerned about, but I'm not going right. to sit Devonte Adams because, and you have to remember that sometimes these corners don't always play man. You know, sometimes they play zone, so you ha- you can't look at it just one on one. You think Jalen Ramsey is somebody you uh, you definitely mm-hmm. worry about? Uh, you know, uh, Darius Slay. I think sure, I big think play is Slay. very. Very underrated. But, you know, there's other places to attack in that secondary. You know, you look at both Jaguars quarterbacks, like A.J. Boye, Boye. You know, is, is another guy that you, you worry about. And, uh, you know, Marshawn Lattimore of, of the Saints mm. is another one that, that you think about as well. So, But there, there's not anybody on the list where I'm going to say, okay, I'm sitting my
0: stu- my number one wide receiver against this guy. Fair enough. And I agree with you, you know, when it comes to like your number one wide receiver, but maybe in DFS, you know, it's definitely something to consider the matchup you're playing against. Right. We've talked about this before. It seems like you're talking about DFS. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I mean. Maybe your season long, maybe your season long team, Scotty, it helps you decide of starting your wide receiver three or your wide receiver four. Is that fair to oh, say? Yeah. Like, let's say who you have your wide ben, receiver three ben, and your first bench wide receiver, and one of those, and your wide receiver three happens to be playing the Jaguars, right? Or by what we're saying, the Vikings, or the Broncos, or the Chargers, or some of these good secondaries, right? That could be a factor. I agree with you. Not at Mike Evans, not at Devonte Adams. And you're not sitting Julio Jones because they're facing, you know, Xavier Rhodes. I got that. But in DFS or between maybe your wide receiver three or four, it's something to consider. And it sounds like you're saying, you know, Viking. Broncos, Jaguars, Chargers, these are secondaries to consider at that level or for DFS, right?
1: For DFS, more than anything, you know, because, you know, coming through my mind, you're not going to start a number, like not going to sit a wide receiver one on an NFL team in a lot of cases, I think. And when you're talking about the less of wide receivers, they're not going to face the number one corner very often. And if they are... Then it's a bad offense to begin with because you're talking right. about, for instance, Kelvin Benjamin, you know, going against, you know, uh, AJ Boye or somebody like that. Well, mm-hmm. you don't want to use him anyway against that defense. So, sure. how often are you really going to sit your wide receiver ones? That's that's not what you drafted them for, and you can't assume that your wide receiver ones are going, uh, your high end wide receiver twos are going to, you know, be worthy of sitting against anybody, and the wide receiver threes and fours. You know, they're not going to face the number one quarter, or they might be facing a zone and the whole thing is
0: moot. Fair enough. Fair enough. We do mention some teams, like you said, in Jacksonville, where the number two corner in A.J. Bouye is still really strong. We talk about the Rams, right, where they're going to have Peters and Talib. So, on um, you know, maybe those are situations where the number three or four wide receiver on your fantasy team might have a tough day. Uh, Scottie, it's occasional. We- it's occasional. Like, say Pittsburgh's playing
1: Jacksonville. I'm yep. not going to bench Antonio Brown, especially but on Juju. the road. But, you know if I, If I have a decision between Juju Smith Schuster and Jarvis Landry, right. you know I might go with jarvis landry if i 'm playing in a ten team league, this more comes into play
0: another running back room uh, Scotty, that we want to talk about you know we talked about places like Denver. we talked about places like Cleveland and Indianapolis and Seattle as well, with all the buzz around Chris Carson. Another one that I think is interesting is Detroit. Uh, Scotty, you know, they draft Kerryon Johnson, right? And they have, you know, kind of, you know, they spend a decent pick on him. Um, they then sign uh, Legarrett Blunt, you know, who I like, who you know I like. They have already Theo Riddick. They have Theo Riddick, you know, who is... Locked and loaded as one of the better kind of PPR backs in the NFL. And then don't forget about last year's week one starter. There's Amir Abdullah still on this roster who everyone kind of just thinks is going to be, you know, kind of banished to the wasteland. How does this, you know, how does this work out? Especially I want to hear about like on Johnson. Scotty has this rookie because to me. The, the theo riddick role is so clear, and quite honestly, so is the legarrette blunt role. is also very clear. Is this a place where Theo Riddick leads in receptions, Legarrette Blunt leads in touchdowns, but Carrion Johnson leads in yards? And if so, like, where's the value here? Yeah,
1: that you know that's a that's a good way to look at it. Uh, theo Riddick, though, you know, might see less receptions. And in the past, and you know his numbers have been declining. I think ever since 2015, so you know maybe not more any more than bench league fodder. You know this team wants to get more physical. I've said it so many times, and you know they were the worst team in the red zone in the, the league last year. And Legarrette Blunt's going to change that. And Kerry and Johnson, uh, I think he and Blunt are going to share a lot of reps. Uh, Kerry and Johnson, you know, d- does have the upside to be a decent flex. But you know, he's different than LeGarrette Blunt. He does run high and you know that's mm. something he's gonna have to work on. But you know, I do like him as a decent flex. I think anybody who's thinking that Carry on Johnson is ticketed to be, you know, the main running back period there, I think uh it's it's not it's not uh it, it's it's
0: not accurate. Are you taking on Johnson or uh one of our Indianapolis Colts rookies first? Scotty, you know, because, listen, carry on Johnson, we've just talked about it, right? There's LeGarrette Blunt there, there's Theo Riddick there. I mean, I don't think he'll still be there, but I guess there's Amir Abdullah there. Uh, and in Indianapolis, we like Wilkins, we like Hines, but there's also Marlon Mack there, you know, we know Turbin comes back after suspension. So let's say you're at a point of the draft, um, you know, where you're targeting some of these rookies. Are you taking carry on Johnson, or are you going with one of these Colts guys?
1: Uh... It's it's right. It kind of depends on the format too. If I'm going to st- sure, I'll probably take Kerry and Johnson like over any of the Colts guys just because okay. of the upside. But then I get to be later in my draft. If I'm playing the standard, I want Blunt more. If I'm playing in a PPR, you know, mm. I'm thinking about Nehim Hines after that. And then I can't
0: forget about Jordan Wilkins as a sleeper. Fair enough. Uh, Scotty, you are much higher. I'm looking at your rankings right now. You are much higher than the consensus when it comes to LGBT rights. I like how you L- advocate for LGBT rights all the time, Scotty. LeGarrett Blunt, you have his running back number 33, even in PPR settings. Then you drop down a little bit, carry on Johnson, 39. And Theo Riddick all the way down to 48. He's the one you're a little bit lower on. It seems like you think some of his even pass-catching ability is going to be compromised a little bit by the influx of some of the new, con- uh, new talent in Detroit, right? Yes. So, for example, yeah, Scott, I'm a little blood. down on the Jaguars. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm a little Not down so. on the Jaguars, Okay. In that division, I believe that if Andrew Luck is healthy, they take a step forward. I like the Houston Texans really to win that division. I think the buzz is great on the Jaguars, and they deserve it, but I think they might have been a little bit ahead of time. If I I don't know if I'm going to bet it, but Jaguars to not make the playoffs is at plus 110. I'm getting plus odds on that. I might consider that um, because I know a lot of people are high on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm, uh, I'm going the other way. I'm fading the public on this one. Scott, do you think the Jaguars? are playoff team this year.
1: So yeah, I don't see why. I mean, you know, they have the best defense in the NFL and as long as yeah. uh, as long as they can have Blake Bortles uh, manage the mistakes like they did in the playoffs, I think they've found a formula there. So it's minus 140 for the Jaguars to make the yep. playoffs. So that means yep, you have to spend uh how much to make $100? 140 bucks? 140. The minus 140
0: means 140 will get you 100. And then on the plus 110. The plus 10 means if I bet 100 dollars, I make 110 if I am correct. Okay. Um. I just think in the. I just think, Scotty. I just think in that division in the AFC South. Listen. I think Houston gets better. I think Indianapolis gets better. You know. And I, I. You know, Jacksonville had a couple of, like, pick sixes last year and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I think their defense is very stout. Uh, But Blake Bortles had a run of, like, three games where he was good. I'm still not, you know, I I just feel like, you know, there's one team every year that there's a lot of buzz on that falls a little bit flat. I mean, this team was a punchline for the better part of a decade, and they made a huge jump. They now have a first-place schedule to contend with as well. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I don't have – it's a gut thing, I got to tell you the truth. I'll be honest with that, but for some reason, I just, I, I just think everyone is, he's they're everyone's darlings this year. The Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to see how they handle expectations, and I just, and that combined with Andrew Luck back in that division, and the Houston Texans getting better with Watson and uh, Watson and Watt coming back, things of that nature. I, uh, I could literally see the Jaguars finishing in third place in that division. Tennessee yeah, is not... always a quality time team as well. Yeah,
1: I'm not agreeing with you. Uh, First off, with the schedule thing, you base that a lot on last year and not this year. And number two, if they're a good team, well, you can't assume that, you know, if they have a tough schedule. Well, anytime the Jaguars are on the schedule for anybody else, that's a tough matchup Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, You're talking when when you say the Colts, you're looking at one player versus a more complete team. Uh, you know, the, the the Texans, to me, you know that that's more of if they stay healthy. I think they're a more formidable opponent. But you know, I don't think the Colts are a good good as team as the Jaguars.
0: All right, that's why they play the games, Scotty. We are allowed to disagree on certain things. That is why they no, play right. the games. And the beautiful part about it. Okay, well, you know, you could feel that way if you want. The beautiful part about it is we are on air, they record all of this, and then we can look back on it in December. It's all good if you want to feel yeah, if that. You're you're right, if you're right, if you're right at this point.
1: No, it's I'm good. kidding.
0: If you if you're right, I'll I'll say <laughs> you're right.
1: You know, it's uh,
0: It's all good, it's all good. And that's yeah. why there are options for people to make their bets, you know? And that's why Some people win bets and some people lose bets. So depending on how you feel about the Jaguars, it could be an opportunity there for you to lay a couple of shekels on them. The battle of the number one and number two overall picks in last April's NFL draft, Baker Mayfield for Cleveland and Saquon Barkley for the New York Giants. Um, I am interested, to be quite honest, with the Giants, and this may be a – kind of a a, a something like people are not talking about this much. I want to see the offensive line for the Giants, Scott. I want to see the offensive line for the Giants, okay? We know that the Giants have playmakers, okay? Odell Beckham, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. I trust those guys. I trust those guys. You know, we have drawn comparisons of these Giants playmakers to, like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Rivaling the best skill positions in the NFL. Eli Manning, we know what Eli Manning is. Is he, like, a quote-unquote elite quarterback, which is what the narrative and the questions have been? No not at this stage of his career. Is he a quarterback that can move the ball with if he has time that can, you know, be professional? Yes, absolutely, right? What I have seen, though, is that this offensive line continues to defecate the mattress, and Eli is not a mobile quarterback. He's learned from his brother going into the fetal position right away, but They sign Nate Soldier. They draft Will Hernandez. With Eli only having, what, maybe one or two years left, they have to protect their fringe Hall of Fame quarterback, right? So that's what I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see if this O-line can hold up because if they do, I think the Giants' offense can surprise some people this year.
1: Yeah, you know, they also have uh, now Patrick Orname, uh, you know, who they signed from the Raiders, too, as well. So. A lot of it last year was not only did he not have the playmakers, he didn't have the protection. And I think a lot of people are assuming Eli Manning is done when a lot of external factors uh, surrounded him. I think he can return to be a respectable quarterback. uh, I think he can still make all the throws he's He's no longer, he no longer has the star power, but I think it, the team around him is built better this year. Everybody's looking at quarterbacks like Mitch Trubisky, and et cetera, like the, the the cast is better around him. Well, why not take a proven guy who's had a better cast around him? And Eli Manning can be very viable in two quarterback fantasy leagues this year. And, uh, you know, the Giants are good. Uh, to me, the Giants are the second best team in the NFC East. Uh, I think you know maybe they just missed the playoffs uh, because mm. I'm not thrilled by what what they have defensively there. Uh, and the NFC is I, tough I, overall. I, I think I think yeah, the, the NFC is tough. I think it's the Eagles, then the Giants, then then uh, then probably Washington. I think Dallas
0: pulls up the rear okay so let me ask you this you know you can make some money on this one scotty if you think the giants are a playoff team if they do take that step forward the new york giants are plus 325 over on mybookie.ag to make the playoffs scotty so would you be willing to throw some money on the giants you'll get three you know 3.25x on your money so if you put in a hundred bucks on the giants to make the playoffs you're getting back 325 as your winnings if you don't believe in it that much you want to lay 50 on it you know you wind up with oh i don't know let's do the math around 160 16250 on $50 is that a bet you might be willing to make you think you can multiply it by 3 three times here if you do think the giants can sneak in and make a playoff run
1: yeah i don't i don't, th- I don't think i'm willing to do that no you, you yeah, right, for 100 enough. i make i make 325 i think i'm throwing away 225 dollars yep.
0: <laughs> all right, yeah. fair. So you're going to I want to know. What I want to know, wanna know is, <laughs> is that I'm not laying
1: that, okay? Look, Dave, okay. I'm, not laying, I'm not laying that. What I want to know is what are the odds when I go to a Jet game that yeah. all these Jet fans are going to look like Jerry Seinfeld?
0: The odds are... 20-1, to 1 because the Jets and New York represent a melting pot. You know what I'm saying? So they're not going to all look like Jerry Seinfeld. They'll also not be putting people through tables, which is something that I know our friend Gabe Morrency might be interested to see. Let me make one more other point. Um, maybe Scotty. I'll do when it I myself. The, um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I see you have Brandon Cooks as wide receiver number 22, and then Woods as number 31, Cup as number 33. If that's the case, right, and we think these guys are going to be all kind of uh – good but inconsistent on some level with Cup being the most consistent you have currently Cup ranked as the third out of these three Rams wide receivers I gotta think to me that means that Cooper Cup represents the most value I also saw last year Scott that Cooper Cup led the team in targets and led the team in red zone targets Um, and it's not like you know Cooks is gonna be a red zone target who just came in he's more of a stretch the field kind of guy so I think the biggest value of these three wide receivers is Cup I might even rather have Cup than Brandon Cooks because of the inconsistency and the chemistry we've talked about. You have Cooks at wideout 22, Woods at wideout 31, Cup at wideout 33. With all things being equal, I, sound, I find the most value in Cooper Cup.
1: Yeah, I think so, and you'll see the ADPs, like, reflect that a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing, like, changes to my ranks very soon, sure. and probably vault cup over those two guys. I don't think a lot of people realize that Cooper Cup is, goes 6-208 to 208 with great mm-hmm. routing and great hands. So, uh, you know, to me, he's, he's going to be first.
0: Okay, fair enough. And, obviously and we'll he does represent the best ranks. value, you're right. You know, and I think – Scott, can I ask you something like – thanks for saying that, that we re- he does represent the best value. Do you think that that's kind of a – I know you say you don't like to make these kind of general statements, but I'm going to make a general statement and see if you buy it. Like when you have these two guys that you think are going to be close, you know, that you think are going to be reasonable, reasonably close, isn't it the right approach to kind of t- wait and take the guy who's going lower because that represents the most value? <laughs> well, you can't always wait. Okay. It, it doesn't always work out
1: the way you want it to because now there's going to be more buzz on Cooper Cup right. these reports, and he might get pushed up the draft board.
0: I'm seeing reports out there uh, about someone whose hands maybe are not as great and who might be struggling a little bit in the pass game, and that's a rookie that I know you like, Scotty, down there in Tampa, Ronald Jones reports, I heard a beat reporter say, quote-unquote, he needs softer hands, and that he's struggling in pass protection. The, the Also notes that at USC, you know, he didn't catch the ball as much, also maybe struggled a little bit in pass pr- protection. Pass protection is something rookie running backs always, a lot of them struggle with, at least early, you know, but what do you think about this? I know you've said that he has the ability to kind of break these long runs, but Scotty ain't going to break long runs if you're not on the field and not being able to handle blitz pickup might be a reason to not be on the field. What do you think about this? Does it give you any cause for concern about Ronald Jones and his ability to be that workhorse for Tampa?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's something definitely to take note of. You know, I I love Jones as a pure runner, you know, maybe better better than anybody uh, other than Saquon Barkley uh, Mm -hmm. in in this class you know just for pure talent but yeah you know, like you said if you can't block for the quarterback you're going to get him killed it's you're not going to be on the field you also have to catch some you don't have to catch passes out of the backfield to to you know to be uh you know, that workhorse type of back and he's definitely talented in Peyton Barber. So this bears monitoring during the preseason. You do hear this about a lot of rookies and eventually they do pick it up, but it's it's something it's definitely something that a strike against him when you hear hear a report like this and you know, I'm gonna have to consider, you know, drop him into my ranks in a few pays pegs because, you know, this could affect the amount of reps that he gets on the field. But when he's on the field, though, I think he's going to be so spectacular, it's going to become a conundrum for the Buccaneers. He, if he keeps pass Brock, he doesn't improve, but, you know, this guy could probably score from anywhere on the field, so you could be looking at a timeshare, maybe, between Peyton, uh, Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones there. So, yeah, I think... I think now we're looking at danger of another timeshare with a rookie Mm -hmm. because you're not hearing this about Rashad Penny, you know, that the pass blocking is the issue. It's just Chris Carson's playing so well. You're not hearing about this about Darius Geis either. So, you know, this is a strike against him, and it could put Geis to the top of the pack among rookies outside of Saquon Barkley.
0: Fair enough. I think part of the reason, and, and you bring up an interesting point about guys. Um, I think part of the reason we're not hearing it as much about guys is because we know that Washington has such a great option in that PPR setting with uh, Chris Thompson. You know, so maybe he won't be asked to do that as much. But I hear you about Geis. What do you? You know, you mentioned Peyton Barber down there in Tampa. Though I always thought the kind of two minute drill, no huddle PPR back was Charles Sims. Do you think he has any value in PPR leagues?
1: No, when was the last time we saw Charles Sims do anything notable?
0: No, I hear you, but it, I feel it, like it, the it, organization it's, it's, has it, always wanted him to be that guy in the PPR in a, that pass catching role. You,
1: you, you, you really like bringing up like retread, you know, especially running backs and like seeing if they have any value. Like, you know, first you're doing this with Terrence West, now you're doing <laughs> it with Charles Sims. You know, these these guys are not relevant. They're they're not you know they're they're not they're not going to be in the mix you know it wouldn't surprise me at some point if we've seen Charles Sims you know maybe not even make the team uh, he's supposed to be this this pass catching back and he was in 2015 but you know the, over the last two years he's only he's only caught 59 passes so and you know scored twice you know that's not a guy that's fantasy relevant to me
0: all right, fair enough, fair enough. This coming from a guy who talks about kiss all the time in terms of recency bias, but that's okay. So i i I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess
1: I guess I guess you lost the debate since you had to go there.
0: Scotty, if you like the bears, they are plus four twenty five to make the playoffs. Ooh, so if you like that, if you think the Bears and this Matt Nagy offense can take a step forward or Trubisky, you know, kind of becomes that second year quarterback who really makes a jump, Bears make the playoffs plus 425, Scotty. Detroit to make the playoffs plus 250. And then as I said, if you're a little bit, you know, if you think that the Packers are Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of his like entourage, the Packers to not make the playoffs would be on the plus side plus 145. Interesting. With the NFC North,
1: yeah, it's the Packers have the worst defense in that division, sure. and you know if you look at Seattle last year, it was regarded as Russell Wilson and company, and
0: they missed the playoffs by a game. Yeah, this is true. Uh, so we shall see, but there's definitely some interesting value there. I might, the I NFC might North. lay
1: something on. What did you,
0: what did you say was for the Packers to not make the playoffs? Plus. One forty-five. So if you bet hundred, you get one hundred forty-five back, or you get two hundred forty-five back. Because you know, when I say these uh, plus one forty-five, thing to note, Scotty. You, you bet get, $100, you get your hundred back. You, you get yeah. your initial yeah. back, right? Uh, when I'm saying the one forty-five, that's your that's your profit. Yeah. That you're that's, that's your winning. That's your profit. Collect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, um, I I think I I think I like the Bears to make the
0: playoffs a little bit more than that. Plus four twenty-five, Scotty. All right, that's that's an interesting little wager. If you have faith in the Matt Nagy system and the development of Trubisky and you know uh, all the rest of those weapons, you're right. They have a decent defense, and if they can get their first round pick, Roquan Smith, middle linebacker out of Georgia, it will be that much better. I want to talk about a poll question that I want to put up today. I was watching that Giants Browns game, right? And honestly, Scott, I don't know if you was watching it live, but the first like yeah, I three what like the first two or three plays all had like 15-yard penalties. You know, there was like that using the helmet, there was like the taunting, and it really I was like, oh, my goodness. Are they going to – because, you know, I'm sitting on the couch talking to my lady. We're watching a football game, and I was like, watch this. This is going to be an issue. I was telling her about, like, the helmet stuff and how it's going to get called. Um, and then right off the bat, you know, the taunting penalty on Landry, the use of the helmet. And I was like, this is – and she's like, oh, man, let him play. I was like, exactly. But now everyone cares so much about player safety and so much about the code of conduct that this is going to be a big issue. Issue. So my question for you, Scott, is like, did you see the same thing in the first drive? It felt like the game couldn't get into the flow, and I was like, Jarvis Landry standing over a guy, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, that's a penalty now, too. Do you think it's going to ever get to the place where it really impacts the kind of flow of the game and the viewing experience if there's just too many penalties called? Uh, And if we're talking, if we're really, you know, kind of nitpicking at what is a personal foul, I understand player safety, you know, but is there a place – is there a line where it goes a little too far, Scott, and it really kind of just like interrupts the flow of the game and the experience for the players and the fans? I'm almost kind of numb to it,
1: really, because you know you see this during the regular season too. Some games are like filled with flags. Some yeah. teams are more penalty prone than others. Yeah, uh, you know, to me, I'm 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 just kind of I'm just kind of numb to it. You know, from an overall football perspective, of course, if I'm, you know, I'm watching a game of my favorite team, it's more annoying. But uh, you know, because you don't want to see see your team lose because of penalties or the flow, offensive flow or defensive flow interrupted because mm-hmm. of the penalties. But I I really think it depends on the teams involved, the referees involved, and I don't think I can make a sweeping generalization about it. Fair enough. I'm,
0: I'm concerned that this issue will grow over the course of the season, Scott. I just want us to keep it in mind early because I, I think I hear you and you say you're kind of numb to it, right? And you, you're kind of yeah. desensitized to it. Some games are more sloppy than others, right? And I understand that, Scott, and I agree with you. My concern is that overall – there is going to be more penalties like in the NFL this year because of a greater focus on things like the helmet rule, on a greater focus on things like unsportsmanlike conduct, right? And I'm reminded this year, Scott, you know, I was watching the game. I'm reminded the ref, you know, they do their little 15-yard penalty, but then there's that extra clause that you hear them say where they're like, this is his first penalty of that type, and if he gets a second, he'll be ejected. That, I think, is is going to be interesting especially Scott if there's a quick trigger you know for the refs on some of this stuff you know I can see like you know Jarvis Landry got a 15 yard penalty for his first catch right then he stands over the guy whatever and taunts right now he had one penalty of that nature if he gets a second one uh you know and then he's gone you know, and I can see defenders getting two in a game, and I think this might become a larger issue. I think it's something that I really think we should keep our eye on as it moves along. And that's our poll question today up on the FNTSY Twitter feed. You can always follow us at Spittin' Speeds, at Scotty Roto Experts. The question is Will the number of penalties for unsportsmanlike conduct, that stuff, impact the viewing experience or impact fantasy? And right now, 48%. Percent of people are saying yeah just let them play only three percent are saying no we need to keep this like fair and like uh you know safe kind of and and well-mannered game uh i think some people are going to start to get pissed off i think it's going to pop up a lot this season scott
1: yeah yeah, uh, you know but i think it does have the, the the tendency to like maybe impact fantasy if you know if uh Someone's going to get ejected. At the Scott. Look at the offensive players. You know more. Uh, you know more under the microscope there, yeah. and uh, you know. I think they're trying to avoid things like Michael Crabtree to keep Talib from happening yeah. again. You know, because you know, then a guy will get thrown out of the game, et cetera, like Odell Beckham, Josh Norman, you know, they're trying right. to police that, police that more. In a way I can understand it, it, you know, I think it goes both ways, really. And the NFL is always the NFL. People are going to be complaining about
0: something, you know? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. You know, people are always going to complain. But my fear, Scotty, and then, you know, we're going to take a break here on Roto Experts in the morning and then continue on the other side to break down what we saw yesterday in the beginning of the really full on week of preseason but I gotta tell you Scott you're right and you're, there's no place for the Crabtree leave stuff there's no place for the OBJ uh, Josh Norman stuff I just worry if they're gonna have the pendulum swing so far in the other direction right that it actually impacts like people are going to get ejected because of this I don't know if it's gonna be offensive skill players or defensive players but people are going to get ejected and I think it is going to have an impact on teams and on fantasy football owners this year something to keep an eye on similar scott to like you know how we never know what is a catch right and how that has impacts for fantasy and it had impact of like you know the afc playoff seedings last year if you want to know the truth